So this morning we return to the practice of metta bhavana, the cultivation of loving kindness. We follow the classic approach this morning, going back to the Buddha's own teaching, kind of this just spatial expansion of a field of loving kindness in all directions. But in this this cycle, let's take into account or incorporate into the practice the, the Mayana dimension of the cultivation of each of these four immeasurables. So beyond immeasurable loving-kindness to great loving-kindness. So immeasurable sounds like it would be bigger than great, but in fact great is bigger than immeasurable in this context. And so re- recall, if you will, I mean, and, and use it as much as you feel is appropriate for yourself. But the, the liturgy is enormously rich, and that is starting out with a question. Right? Why couldn't we all, instead of saying all sentient beings, how about just all of us, why couldn't we all find happiness in the causes of happiness? It's a nice, fruitful question to begin with. And then, one is assuming there is no good answer, why we couldn't, and then the next line, may we, may it be so, may we find happiness. May we all find happiness in the causes of happiness. And then, with this profound sense of kinship, of interrelatedness, the sense that we are all profoundly interrelated, and then taking upon oneself, from the depths of one's being, from really from Buddha nature itself, from that depth, taking upon oneself a responsibility, a kind of a commitment, may I make it so, may I create the conditions that each of us, all of us, can find happiness and causes of happiness, and then finally, then calling for blessings. Then, if one has this, how do you say, devotional element to one's practice, and looking to one's guru, one's personal deity, to the Buddhas, calling for blessings to enable one to be able to do that. Right? So it really is a sequence of aspirations. But again, for this, for this sequence, this Mayana sequence, to be meaningful and not an expression of megalomania, then there really is only one perspective, as I said before, from which this is meaningful, and that is to be arousing these aspirations from the from really the greatest depth of pristine awareness or Buddha nature itself. But this is now like Dzogchen, the term the great perfection also means can be translated never is, but it could be translated as the great encompassment. I mentioned that earlier. That there's something very encompassing about the Dzogchen view. It's not exclusivist. It's not partial. But it, it, within the Buddhist context, it, it covers the Shravakayana. It encompasses the Shravakayana, the Bodhisattvayana, Vajrayana. It encompasses it all, but creates the largest, I believe, the largest framework for all of them. It includes also non-Buddhist, or non-Buddhist approaches, and actually makes sense of materialism as well. That materialism is a very logical, rational way of viewing reality from a certain very limited perspective. So there we are. So, this cultivation of loving-kindness, then, if we seek to at least create a facsimile of venturing into this practice from the perspective of pristine awareness, then it, too, must have an all-encompassing quality to it. And that is, as we attend or include in this vision, this sequence of aspirations, the operations of the coarse mind, the coarse mind, right? The dualistic mind, the mind embedded in the desire realm, well, from that perspective, the pursuit of happiness and the causes of happiness is overwhelmingly hedonic. Well, that's true for us. It's true for other people, too. It's overwhelming. And not only human beings, but animals. 
that is, our senses are directed outwards. We see stuff that seems to make us happy. And then, I want the causes of happiness. I want a fire engine. I want to be a cowboy. I want to be an astronaut, you know, depending on your age. And interests, and so forth. I want a Barbie doll. You know? And you may not quote me on that one. <laughs> so, we see something out there that seems to catalyze a sense of well-being. And of course, it's not by any means all trivial. I want enough, I want enough, I want to have enough to eat. I want shelter, I want lodging, I, I want medical care, and so forth. So on that level, on this coarse mind level, the range of desires, aspirations that people have, sentient beings have for their happiness, the range of ideas they have of what they believe will be the causes of getting the happiness they seek. A college education, a new car, a new girlfriend, children, a good inheritance, and so forth. The range is fantastic. I mean, tremendous range. And of course, the only ones we don't go along with are those aspirations for happiness, the causes of happiness, that are really clearly detrimental, that if they were realized, they would actually take people backwards. So those we exclude. But the cultivation of loving kindness does not trivialize, marginalize, or overlook people's hedonic desires, especially when they can be very meaningful, like wishing to take care of one's family and so on. So as we allow the awareness to expand, we very much embrace other people's meaningful, hedonic desires, or hedonic well-being, and the causes of hedonic well-being. Right? But again, from this depth, it's not like kind of arising as Santa Claus. Like, ho, 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 what do you want for Christmas? Oh, sure, I'll just give you all these toys and all these goodies. It's not just being a dispensary of, of goodies. You know, that if you become an embodiment of loving kindness, you realize boundless loving kindness, or a great loving kindness that you're just like, you know, Buddhist Santa Claus. You know, just giving out gifts in all directions. There's also wisdom involved, and that is if people, with the wisdom of recognizing that if people are not able to satisfy their most important hedonic desires. They probably won't look beyond them. Some occasionally do, but for the most part we don't. If we're not able to fulfill that, we won't get around to genuine happiness because we're still feeling all that unfulfilled desire. Oh, I wish I had children, a wife, I wish I had a house, I wish I had good health, I wish I had enough to eat, I wish I had some decent clothes. And if you're not getting those, and you really, really want them, you've, you've really identified that with as being a significant whole dimension of your well-being, and you're not getting it, then that will continue to draw. Quite understandable. Right? And so, so many of the great adepts, Atisha, Buddha, Shakyamuni, Shantideva, and many, many others, came from, from how do you say, backgrounds of extraordinary privilege. You know, wealth, power, fame, and all of that. And then emerged from that, having satisfied them, then recognizing the limitations. And you know, how many people nowadays? having become quite affluent, having you know, received a bounty of hedonic pleasure, then seeing, aha, now what else might there be? And this is where wisdom really comes in. Because I think one of thing, two things can happen if there is no wisdom coming in. And that is one receives, one finds all one's needs, all one needs in terms of one's hedonic desires. And then having an imagination deficit disorder and is not being able to imagine that there might be some other kind of well-being, figures, well, it was good to have enough, but it's bound to be better to have twice as much as enough. 
And I imagine ten times or a hundred times or a thousand times as much as I really need. It should be better because it was good enough. It was good to have enough. And so just figure more better, more better, more better. And then just continue on that mindlessly and not even notice that you're not getting any greater happiness. You're just getting more rituals of happiness, more facades, more symbols of happiness, but no juice. So now you become a hedonic fundamentalist. Just locked into empty rituals and a stupid, non-reality-based belief system. So, to rescue people from that would be a really great service. Or people who do see the limitations of hedonic well-being, see how their hedonic pleasures in the past have simply come and go, no big deal, and then having no vision of genuine happiness, figuring, ah, I get it, I shouldn't even strive for happiness, it's not worthwhile. It's not one of those meaningful things. It just, it comes, it goes, it's no big deal. So, let's think about something else to desire. And basically give up entirely on the whole agenda of the pursuit of happiness. As so many of the great wise people of the past, including of the present, the Dalai Lama saying, the pursuit of happiness is the very meaning of life. You know, he's not the first one to say that. Some people, their experience, at least their remembered experience of happiness is only hedonic. They see it's not very meaningful, and they're right. But then not envisioning or not remembering their experiences of any other kind of well-being, don't think about aspiring for it. And so then, in terms of their life ideals and so forth, they say, well, happiness is not a priority for me. It's not that important. I've tried it. It was okay, but no big deal. And then they try for something else. So, to lead others to happiness and the causes of happiness as a a true spiritual friend is to help them find enough to gain enough experience of hedonic pleasures and their causes to see their value and their limitations. Because they certainly do have value. They don't have enough eat to eat. Boy, that's really important. And so, to help them see the value and the limitations of hedonic well-being. And so, satisfy that coarse mind. And then to envision, as we send out our aspirations, our light, our breath of loving kindness, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all, religious, not religious, believe in reincarnation, don't, whatever, if everybody could tap into the very source, the relative source of bliss, of clarity, of serenity, in their own substrate consciousness, really tap into the first real dimension of eudaimonic well-being that stems from within, that's common to all sentient beings. Everybody is carrying around this bank account, you know, this this vault of their own substrate consciousness. Everybody's got that. You don't have to be Buddhist, obviously, but so few people are tapping into it consciously. So to guide people, you know, oh, you wanted bliss? Good, why don't you come to the source of it? You wanted thrills, excitement, a sense of being vibrantly alive? Good, why don't you find that in your substrate? You want security, serenity, peace? Good, why don't you find that at home? Rather than going out on all these fishing expeditions, why don't you come back to the source? The relative source, substrate consciousness. So, that would be part of loving kindness. And then, of course, the deepest. Now, if you're looking for happiness, you're looking for meaning, you're looking for fulfillment, you're looking for perfection, why don't you go into the very root of that? And then, to envision, oh, may the gurus, the deities, may you bless me that I could lead people all the way there, not only to the fulfillment of their hedonic well-being, fix their teeth when their teeth are hurting, help them with their financial troubles when they're, you know, when they don't know what they're doing financially, and so forth and so on. May I help them in that level. Shantideva says, for those 
who are lonely, may I arise as a friend. Or those who need to cross to the far shore, may I arise as a bridge. And so he's just imagining himself and filling other people's hedonic well-being. For those who are seeking inner well-being, may I lead them to shamatha. For those who are seeking liberation, awakening, may I be so enabled, so empowered, so effective, that I can lead them all the way there to perfect awakening. Oh, but then I have to become a Buddha. How could I lead them to some place I haven't been myself? So quite deep this practice, I think, when we approach it from an all-encompassing, great encompassment perspective. We leave out nothing. And there's no looking down our nose at people, oh, you're just eating with hedonic. Yeah, try not eating for a while. See what, see how much you care about hedonic. You know? And so there's no condescension. There's no insider and outsider. There's no, oh, we Buddhists, whereas you non-Buddhists. There's none of that. We all want hedonic. We all want the source of that. We're all looking for greater meaning in our lives. So I think it's all good. Doesn't divide. No demarcations, this religion, that religion, religion, no religion. All coming together on common ground. At the same time, and this will be the final point, celebrating the differences. I mean, it's really marvelous that on a hedonic level, we don't all wish for the same thing. You know, like when I went for breakfast, I was really glad this morning that when I went for breakfast, somebody's idea of happiness would be, gosh, maybe I could be a cook at Panipura. But it's never occurred to me, I've never wanted to be a cook here. I think it's a perfectly good job, but it's not something I've ever aspired to. Thank goodness everybody's not wishing, gosh, I, could, I wish I could be a meditation teacher at Panipura. I'd have so much competition, I'd never get a job, I'm sure. You know? But no, these people over there, they thought about, oh, I, I could be a cook. I'd like to work in the, in the, in the canteen in Tanipura. Oh, I'd really like to be a groundskeeper at Tanipura. I could take, I could get one of those cool motor, motor scooters. Oh, I'd like to work in the front desk at Tanipura. And so forth. So isn't it wonderful that people have different aspirations? Then we can all work together collectively. Whereas if we all wanted the same thing, we'd all bore each other to death, for starters. But then we couldn't function either because nobody would want to do everything that we're not doing. Bonus. So, now that I've front-loaded the practice, I can give very few instructions while we're doing it, but find a comfortable position. begin the session as always with an act of loving kindness to soothe, to calm, to balance our body, speech, and mind by settling them in their natural state.
then as you wish, either to deliberately bring certain individuals or or communities to mind, human or non-human, or to simply settle your mind in its natural state. See what appearances come to mind when they are appearances of sentient beings. Invite them in. Attend not just to the appearances, but to the sentient beings by way of the appearances. And gradually, over the course of the session, expand the field of your awareness in all directions, excluding no one. Embracing all in a field of loving kindness, suffused with every outbreath, with your breath, and if you wish, from the light at your heart. And let's continue practicing in silence.
release all appearances and let your awareness rest in its own nature. Enjoy the rain.